You're listening to the Hillspring Church audio podcast. Hillspring exists so that all people can find and embrace a life of faith through Christ. For more information or to get involved, visit us on the web at hillspringchurch.org. So as we move towards a new ministry season this fall, this September, we are going to be re-engaging in our mission like never before. I said to our leadership team or our volunteer team before the service that we really almost see this as a replanting of Hillspring Church, that we're going to remind ourselves, you know, what does it mean to be Hillspring Church? Why do we exist as a church? And we are going to be challenging you guys to embrace that mission alongside of us so that we can move forward in making this a place where all people can find and embrace life in Christ. Exciting news. If you haven't already seen little posts popping up online, we are uh, right now there's a posting out there and we're looking to hire an assistant pastor for a one year contract at this point, which is super exciting. And that person's going to be coming in to lead the charge in welcoming and integrating new people into the life of the church and helping them find a place where they feel embraced by this body of believers. But also they're going to recruit and oversee people uh, who, who lead up our family ministries all the way from kids to 20s and 30s group, okay? And then share in the teaching and preaching, which is great because you don't have to listen to me every single week, just most weeks after that happens, right? Some of you have been listening to me for like nine or 10 years and I'm, I'm just sorry. That's all I can say. But I ask you though to prayerfully uh, join me uh, in praying that for God's provision, over the next few weeks as we move towards the fall. And because prayer is a recognition of our dependence on God. And so, again, we are the church. We need to be a community of people who look to God in prayer and say, God, provide us with whoever it is that you're, you're, you're going to bring in to provide leadership in those areas. And, and then also prayerfully say, God, you know, show me what area, show me what role, show me what part of my life, you, well, it's all of your life, show me how you want to use my life to build your church and to build your kingdom. And then let's join together in making this a place where all people can come in and and feel the love and the mercy of God and and find life to the full. So I'm excited about it. Uh, This time of year is an especially exciting time of year because, you know what, I understand that everyone goes away in the summer. That's just part of our culture, you know, more so this year than any other year. You know, people are desperate to get away, and and I understand that. At the same time as a pastor, you know, you kind of want to get going too. <laughs> you know, you want to get everyone back and, and get refocused on our mission as a church. But uh, take the rest that you need, but also do it intentionally. You know, rest up while also being prayerful and, and, and saying, God, you know, prepare my heart, prepare uh, who I am, prepare my character, prepare my mind to be used by you as we move into the fall. And then the rest is up to God. And God will do amazing things in and through this church. Okay, would you stand with me? And we're going to just join in prayer right now. And we're going to pray and ask God to lead us. That's not the end of the sermon. That's just like, that's just a tidbit. It's just free. And then don't worry. We have a little bit to go yet. All right, God, we thank you so much for this morning that we're gathered here this morning. And Lord, we um, are overwhelmed with what you've provided for us through your son on the cross, that you have forgiven us all our sins. But God, that is just the beginning. You want to give us life and life to the full as we hand our lives over to you to be used by you. And so God, over this next few weeks, as we prepare uh, for the, a new ministry season that comes with the fall, I just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to all of our hearts and that you would uh, get us in a place where we are ready to give ourselves over for your kingdom, God. That you would show us what ways that you may want us to get involved, God. 
that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit, even in the conversations we have with people outside of Sunday morning, to be a salt and light in this world, God, where our words would be healing words, where our words would be merciful, where our words would be loving to any of those people that we come across, inside or outside of the church, we pray, God. God, we pray for this new role that uh, we are going to be starting in this church, God, in this new position, Lord. We just pray that you would provide uh, the right person at the right time, and you have done that faithfully. Year after year, God, you have provided for this community of faith in so many ways, God. You are good. You are such a good and loving Father who has provided all that we need, and so we ask you again, and we depend on you and trust you to provide what we need again in this season as a church, we pray. Lead us in your purposes, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can grab a seat. Whew. I'm going to bring a little fan next week. Well, there's going to be air conditioning. <laughs> I want to look at a story with you this morning that I think is quite humorous in the Bible. At least that's the way I see it. I mean, it's, it still has a profound application for all of us, but there's I think there's definitely some humor in it from a charming interaction between Jesus and his mother. Maybe even, you might even be able to see a bit of a mischievous side in Jesus. I don't know. But that's, it's hard to think of Jesus that way, isn't it? It's hard to think of him that way because we're not very good at picturing Jesus as someone who would have a lot of fun. You know, religious organizations and religion is often approached very solemnly, Right? And very seriously all the time. And often people will feel like, you know, they might be laughing and listening to music and having a good time when they come to church. But then when they get to church, they got to put their serious face on. And, you know, because, I don't know, for some reason, somewhere along the way, seriousness became the face of spirituality. Right? And so it's hard sometimes to think of Jesus as someone who would have fun. But it was actually the religious leaders that Jesus condemned, which, who were the ones that were so serious all the time. It was. And they were the stuffy ones that didn't want Jesus to be interacting with certain people in society who were having fun, okay? So religious people can be serious, but Jesus often found himself having fun in social settings and in parties, and not that we would necessarily condone all of the things that may be happening there, but he certainly didn't withdraw from those settings, and he certainly didn't hold back from having good, a good time with the people in this world that he loved, which was, he loves all people, right? And so Jesus often found himself in those settings. And life with Christ, the truth is that life with Christ brings an incredible amount of joy. It should. When you know Christ personally, it brings an incredible amount of joy, not just serious times. Okay? Anyways, let's take a look at this story. If you can, if you can turn with me to John chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to pray again. I'm just going to ask God to speak to us this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for the amazing things that you I did through your son while he was here on earth with us, God. And we just pray that as we look to one of those stories today, God, that you would speak to us and that our hearts would be soft to what you want to say to us, God, no matter who we are, or where we come from, God, whatever we're struggling with, God, we, we humble ourselves before you and ask you to speak to us by your spirit, God, and challenge us, we pray in your holy name, amen. All right, so a couple of a few days before this event took place that we're looking at, uh, Jesus had just gathered his disciples. It was the very beginning of his ministry when he, where he went around and he asked uh, people to follow him. Uh, and I mean the, the 12 disciples, okay? There were other 
what were called disciples, which was a larger group of people that would gather around Jesus no matter what town he went to. But Jesus sort of hand-selected the 12 disciples that would follow him and learn from him. Two of the followers of John the Baptist, Andrew and Peter, they began following Jesus after uh, their actual, you know, the, the, the one, their, their first leader, John the Baptist, told them that Jesus was the Messiah, and they, they kind of cut John the Baptist loose, and they began to follow Jesus. And they acknowledged that he was the promised Savior, which was someone who would come and free them from political oppression. That's how they saw it, at least. And then Philip went, and he found, sorry, the next day, Jesus called another man named Philip to follow him. And Philip went and told his friend named Nathaniel that he had found the Messiah. And Nathaniel came as well, and he was a bit skeptical, but quickly changed his mind after having a unique interaction with Jesus that you can read about in John chapter 1. And then John writes in John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. He says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So the third day could mean a Tuesday, with Saturday being the last day of the week. But the phrase uh, on the third day was often used just to mean a few days later. So John is telling this story. You know, Jesus went around. He gathered his disciples. This is what happened. And then on the third day, or a few days later... A wedding took place, all right? And, and meaning uh, a few days after he called his followers, they found themselves at a wedding. And, and Jesus' mo- mother Mary seemed to be the primary uh, person who was invited to this wedding. She was there. She was present at the wedding. And it says, and then Jesus and his disciples were also invited along, which wasn't as odd as you were th- would think. I mean, in this day and age, you know, if you've went to a lot of time and spent a lot of money planning and organizing a wedding and you invited someone to be there, you probably wouldn't just say at the last minute, oh, you have some people that are in town, you know, bring them along as well and enjoy the roast beef dinner that, you know, we paid to cater. You know, you wouldn't even have, that wouldn't work because you've already told the caterer how many people are going to be there, right? But back then it was really common. In fact, you know, the people who would host a wedding wanted to invite as many people as possible because it was a real celebration and it was kind of the more, the merrier. Weddings lasted for seven days, and this was just a great big celebration with as many people as possible. And so Jesus and his disciples joined Jesus' mom at this wedding. And then John explains in verse 3 that when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Okay, so you know where this is going? Pretty popular story about Jesus. If you don't, well, you'll find out, all right? But this is where the tension in the plot begins. There was a big problem taking place in the wedding. You know, wine was absolutely essential to have a proper wedding celebration. In fact, without wine, there was no celebration. I I didn't know that Jesus was Italian or that people were Italian, right? But without wine, there was no celebration, all right? And to run out of wine at the wedding would have been incredibly embarrassing as it was the host's responsibility to provide enough wine to last the full seven days. Wine was essential, and wine was directly related to joy. You know, joy and the wine went together. In fact, the rabbis had a saying, without wine, there is no joy. Okay, <laughs> there you go. You've always been a wine, oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. Christine will talk to you after. <laughs> but to wine out of wine at the wedding, I'm kidding, guys, yeah. I think, it, should I have to qualify it? I know he looks haggard this morning, but not just kidding. we're going to just razz each other. But, uh, you know, so <laughs> if something wasn't, uh, to run into the wine at the wedding would have been incredibly embarrassing. Let's get back to this, all right? Now, I can relate to this type of embarrassment. Not that I ran out of wine at our wedding, 
But, and my in-laws are here and they can uh, attest to this being true, we ran out of food at our wedding. At least I should say that the caterer ran out of food at our wedding. And I've been married 20 years this year and we're still trying to forget that. Thank you. I was hoping for some applause this morning. We've been married 20 years this year, and we're still trying to forget that detail about our wedding. Now, thankfully, we didn't find out until afterwards, but we heard afterwards that, that the caterer did not plan enough food for the wedding. And so there were guests that got hardly anything when they left. And so we were embarrassed. So when I read this, and I hear about the embarrassment that would happen when people would run out of wine at a wedding, I get it. I get it. It would be tr- terribly embarrassing. And so Jesus' mom, recognizing the problem, she makes the problem known to Jesus. Now, if you know anything about moms, you know, when, when the mom said, when Jesus' mom said, what did she say? She said, there's no more wine, or they've, they have no more wine, is what she said. If you know anything about moms, this wasn't just a statement. She wasn't just saying, there's no more wine. Oh, that's too bad. They're going to be really embarrassed, right? Students, when your mom says, any one of you have a dog? Okay. When your mom says, the dog is hungry. Or when your mom says, the dog needs to go outside. Or when your mom says, the garbage is full. She, you know as well as I do that she's not simply stating a fact. Oh. Oh, the dog needs to go outside. Cool. Thanks for letting me know. Or, oh, the garbage is, is full. Yeah, I noticed that too when I opened it and crammed stuff on the top. And it was overflowing onto the floor, right? When, when a mom makes a statement like that, she's not just stating a fact. She expects you to what? To do something about it, right? She, it's kind of a, a passive way of asking you to do something. It's like, you know, just so you know. So Jesus' mom says to Jesus, they have no more wine. And if you're familiar with the story, you already know where it's headed, a miracle. But we have no idea if she was asking Jesus to do a miracle uh, she may have simply been asking Jesus to step out and go to the LCBO and bring some more back and just, you know, subtly put it in their fridge so that they, the party could go on or tell some jokes so that, you know, those that were hosting it could go out and slip out without even being noticed, pick up some stuff and bring it back. I don't know. We don't even know if Mary knew that Jesus could do miracles. Now, a fun fact, there are actually second century writings that have accounts of toddler Jesus turning clay pigeons into living birds. But it's just fabricated. Almost everyone believes that those things are just apocryphal or fabricated, okay? So the truth is we really don't know if, if, if Mary knew that Jesus could do miracles at all, right? I don't know if he stood in the driveway, ever seen the commercial where the kid uses the force and then the dad clicks the thing and turns the lights on. We don't know if he did anything to let her know that he could perform miracles as a kid. Now, she did know some special things about her based on the birth, right? But anyways, this is a big problem. And Jesus knew that his mom was implying that he should do something to remedy the problem. So Jesus responds with a response that seems kind of unusual to us today. And kids, again, I recommend that you read your Bibles like crazy. I recommend that you, you learn passages and even like tell passages to your parents that you're learning. But this is something that I actually don't recommend that you say to your mom. Okay, so if you have a what would Jesus do bracelet, I don't, you know, only if you've been around for a long time, you know what that is. But, you know, as followers of Christ, don't do it this way. Okay, 
And so picking up at verse four, Jesus responded to his mom's statement, woman, why do you involve me? Oh, you guys are quiet. (laughs) You're just picturing like what your mom would do if you said that to her, right? You're shocked that Jesus would say that. He says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. So don't say to your mom, woman, why do you involve me? Okay. Now, as much as these words sound incredibly harsh and disrespectful to our ears, that's not how they would have come across in Jesus' day, thankfully. You know, woman was actually a title of respect, much like our word lady. Although even that, walk up some of the... <laughs> If you walked up and you said, hey, lady, it's not going to seem respectful either. So you just got to work with me on this one. It wasn't a sign of disrespect. Jesus addresses his mom the same way when he was hanging from the cross and committing her to John's safekeeping. He addressed her as woman there as well. Unfortunately, you know, we've, the meaning has changed the way we use it in the delivery. Well, I don't use it. I would never use that. Anyway, Jesus wasn't refusing to do something either. You know, his response, you know, why do you involve me, actually indicated that he had already been uh, that he'd already been involved. You know, why do you involve me? In other words, I'm now involved. You know, why did you involve me? He's already involved in the issue, but he was still submitted to his mom's request to do something. And the reason why Jesus questioned his mom was because, as he said, his time had not yet come, which likely implied that once Jesus started to reveal who he really was in doing miracles, he was on his way to the cross, which is ultimately where he would fully reveal who he truly was. Well, we read next in verse five, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So, so his mom says, there's no more wine. And Jesus understands what she means by that. And he's like, why do you involve me in this? And she just basically ignores his response and just turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Now, I don't, has anyone ever seen my big fat Greek wedding? Okay. I kind of picture her kind of talking like the Greek mom in that kind of thing, where she just kind of ignores what Jesus says and turns to the servants and like, I'm not even going to try a Greek accent, right? But like, just turns to them and says, do whatever he tells you, you know? And, and kind of just gets things moving forward, right? But Jesus' mom didn't even acknowledge Jesus' reluctance. She just presumed his compliance and says to the, the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. She knew that Jesus could do something about the situation. I think she knew that Jesus could do something great. All the servants needed to do was whatever Jesus told them. Well, John continues in verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So in the context of a wedding feast, these were... Um, big, not like when I think of a jar, I think of like a canning jar or something much smaller. As, as, as John thankfully wrote down here, they hold 20 to 30 gallons each. They were big stone pots that were carved out of solid rock. And back then, if they were involved with the wedding, they were probably used to uh, wash dishes or wash hands. All right. And so in the context of the wedding feast, they were used for, it says ceremonial rituals. Uh, and you have to understand that back in those days, you know, everything to do with cleanliness, like washing your hands, washing the dishes that you ate off of, all of that was directly associated with spirituality. That, that physical cleanliness and spiritual cleanliness were one and the same thing. And so we still have cleanliness rituals. We just don't see them as having any impact on our relationship with God. But we still go through those rituals, right? And so these were uh, big jugs that were used for probably the washing of, of dishes or hands of the guests at the wedding. 
And so Jesus says to his servants in verse 7, fill the jars with water so that they are, so they filled them to the brim. So Jesus looks over, his mom says, do whatever he says. And Jesus says, okay, you see those big jugs over there? Fill them up. And so the servants of the wedding, the master that was holding the wedding, go over, they grab the jugs, and they fill them to the brim. And so on top of the interaction between Jesus and his mom, I kind of think this is funny as well. I think this is why the story is funny, because the servants, I think, must have wondered what in the world was going on. You know, it's like, go take those wash basins over there and fill them up with water. It's like, how is that going to solve the problem of no wine at the wedding? You know, go up and get some wash basins, fill them up with water. And so they do it. But then, moving on, Jesus says in verse 8, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Fill up these jugs with water. Now take it and deliver it to the master of the banquet. They did. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Well, I guess they did. I can imagine some of them standing aside while they kind of took these wash basins of water, giving it to the servant, and just kind of like watching to see what's going to happen when this guy drinks some water, right, from these wash basins. Well, who is the master of the banquet? Well, the master of the banquet was essentially a wedding planner. He was the one that was responsible for overseeing all of the wedding details. And Jesus takes the 